Good morning, Rick. Thank you for joining us today. I know that you have spent 30 years working in the financial markets. You began your career as a lawyer, practiced in both New York and London, and then moved to the dark side and did sales and trading of derivative products. And then you were the CEO of ISTA from 1997 to 2001. Now you are the CEO of Rudder Associates, a New York-based consulting firm. You must have seen a bit of real action in financial products disputes, both as a lawyer and as a businessman. So, what has been your experience with the virtual hearing so far? Well, Jane, it's really a pleasure to be here with you and to talk about virtual hearings, which, during the pandemic of 2020, have become something that caught on in a way that none of us could have predicted a few years ago. My first experience with the virtual hearing actually occurred before the pandemic in 2018,、um, in a case、um, in Singapore in the Singapore International Commercial Court, where I was engaged as a consulting expert, and two of my colleagues at Rudder Associates were engaged as testifying experts. One of them joined me in Singapore for the hearing, but a second colleague who was testifying on quantum testified remotely from New York. And he did so because quantum wasn't seriously contested by the other side, and it wasn't expected that he would be、yep. testifying for very long. And the experience was actually an eye-opening experience for me. It worked very, very well to have him testify. It saved him a 24-hour trip to Singapore. He testified in the middle of the night in New York. Uh, we chuckled at the fact that he had to testify at 2 a.m. New York time, but the technology and the impact of his testimony was quite good. I then had an experience myself in the summer of 2020, where I testified in HKIAC, an arbitration in Hong Kong, in a hearing that was a hybrid virtual hearing. I had to testify remotely because of the travel restrictions, the quarantine restrictions in Hong Kong. It made、right. it impractical for me to testify, and for many others to testify in person in Hong Kong. In that hearing. The presiding arbitrator actually was based in Hong Kong, and so he was present. As were counsel. Most of counsel、uh, were based in Hong Kong, but the witnesses, fact witnesses, expert witnesses, were all outside of Hong Kong. In fact, two of the arbitrators were outside of Hong Kong. One was in London, and one was in mainland China. And so I testified virtually from New York in that hearing. And I had a third experience in a mediation in the second quarter of 2020, a mediation where I was engaged by the mediator as an expert, and that mediation took place between a hedge fund and six bank creditors. Took place all by telephone, so it was all virtual、right. in that case. So I've had those those experiences, and and on balance, fairly positive experiences. Not completely positive, but on balance, pretty positive. Great to hear those. I mean, especially the full-blown arbitration hearing that was quite impressive. I mean, Rick, as you know, in the third quarter of this year, Allen and Overy conducted a survey of nearly 300 respondents, both internally and externally, to gather people's views on virtual hearing. The vast majority of them are private practitioners and barristers. It would be really interesting to have your take on some of the findings through a slightly different lens. So I may just throw some questions at you. Based on our survey responses, one of the most controversial aspect of virtual hearing seems to be oral witness evidence. With 100 people out of 300 considering it to be negatively impacted. So, what are your views on that? 
So as I said, I, my experience was largely positive, but it wasn't completely positive. And I think that those respondents to the Allen and Overy survey hit upon one of the aspects of virtual testimony that I think is perhaps problematic. And that is, without actually being physically present, it's more difficult for judges or arbitrators, as the case may be, and, and for counsel to read the witnesses. It's tougher to see body language and eye contact and really to get as, as good a read as you could in person. And from the perspective of the witness, I found that I had a similar concern in, in that it was more difficult for me to read the other participants and to really appreciate whether my testimony was getting through to the arbitrators in the case of the arbitration in which I testified virtually. Every indication was that it had, but it's more difficult to, to, to get a sense of whether they're following and whether you're being as helpful as you would want to be in a hearing. Right. So it's kind of uh, both ways. We always heard the lawyers saying that this is a one way they couldn't read the witness. I think the witness not reading the judges, arbitrators and the surrounding is also difficult. I think a good witness is, is one that you would want to have being able to see if, if the judge's face is just blank or, or if the judge is nodding and understanding. I think it's important for the, the witness to gauge whether he or she's being helpful to the tribunal or to the judge. I thought the witness is just supposed to tell the truth, no matter where they are. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is, that is absolutely right. But if that truth is not getting through, then it's not doing the, the tribunal very much good. So, so I do think something is lost when you're testifying virtually, potentially. Yeah, absolutely. And also, when we ask people to cite difficulties they had when participating in a virtual hearing generally, connectivity, not surprisingly, by far the most frequently cited Maybe once we step into the 6G world, it can all be resolved. What has been the greatest challenge for you personally during your participation in virtual hearings? You touched upon it. It's, it's IT, getting comfortable with the technology. That's the single biggest challenge that I faced. And it's one that I think you're right, we will overcome. As we become more experienced, it will be less of an issue. In the same way that when you first walk into a courtroom, and there's a lot that you need to overcome and to learn. And that's true with technology as well. I think each time we participate, any of us, in a, in a virtual hearing, we will get better at the, at the technology. That's the biggest challenge that I've found. We sometimes all have to walk outside of our comfort zone. And, but once you're out there and frequent enough, and then you will feel comfortable. Yeah, agreed. Great. And based on your own experiences, can you call out perhaps one benefit to making more use of virtual hearings moving forward and one potential disadvantage? Sure. I think the benefit is not having to travel, and that's uh, both a time-saving and a cost-saving. That, I think, is pretty obvious, but there's another benefit that goes with that from the perspective of counsel and also all participants in any hearing, especially the decision-makers, and that is that if travel's not a cost and not a factor, then it enables counsel to look globally for the person who they think is the best expert and not be taking travel costs into account. I've had some discussions about cases in Asia that are quite small, where there's not an amount of quantum at stake, 
And in many cases, I'm contacted by someone who says, you know, you'd be a really terrific expert in this case, but it's so little at stake that we don't want to fly you from New York. Who do you know who's local? And I'll try to provide you know, a name of somebody who's really a good local expert who doesn't have to travel more than a, a few kilometers to get to the hearing. This takes away that disincentive to seeking the person who counsel think would be the best expert, wherever that person might reside. So I think those are the benefits as I see it. There is a disadvantage, and the biggest disadvantage that I see is the inability or difficulty that the group at the hearing has in working together. For example, when I act as an expert witness, very often I'm in the hearing when the other side's expert witness is testifying, both so that I can hear his or her testimony, but also so that I can assist the counsel instructing me with questions that they might ask that witness. That's much more difficult to accomplish if you're trying to text or email. Much easier to do that um, when you're actually present in the hearing room. And all of the sidebar conversations that take place in breaks and at lunch, the prep, there's a, a loss of collegiality and teamwork. It's also true across the aisle between counsel and to some extent between expert witnesses, the inability or greater difficulty that we have in communicating with each other. And I do think that that lack of in-person collegiality and teamwork will continue to be a disincentive to holding uh, virtual hearings. So they're both benefits and disadvantages to virtual hearings. Yeah, those are great insights. Actually, on your first point, I was also thinking it will be great for those working mothers have young children. They don't have to travel and they can be more often to be testifying experts if they are actually qualified to do. They don't need to worry about traveling. That's a great advantage for them. The next one is that actually in the survey, the vast majority of respondents feel that the ultimate result of their hearing was not impacted because the hearing was virtual instead of physical. Nearly 80% of respondents believe their clients have reacted to participating in virtual hearing positively or neutrally. That's a very high percentage. Those are very reassuring results, aren't they? What is your view on virtual proceedings being the future as opposed to a short-term fix to COVID-19? Yeah, so I agree with the survey respondents. In my experience, the outcome has not been impacted. And ultimately, that's what matters most. We wouldn't want to have the format changing the outcome of matters. And so I do agree with that. I think that's most important. I think that in the future, it's not going to be either or. I think we're going to have a choice between virtual or in-person or perhaps the hybrid hearing of the sort that I participated in Hong Kong, because there are advantages and disadvantages to both. I do hear from my colleagues, and for the reasons that I mentioned before, about being in the room together, the collegiality, the teamwork, being able to read each other. I do think that there's going to be a return to in-person hearings once that's a possibility, but not a full return. I think that there will be witnesses who participate virtually. I think there will be potentially arbitrators who participate virtually. I think there'll be, as I said, perhaps a hybrid format. And then there may be some instances where it does make sense to be completely virtual and we know it works. And so that's an option. So I think it's going to be decided on a case-by-case basis. Yeah, I think that must be right. I mean, 
horses for courses, right? During the pandemic, I learned to listen to concerts online. I used to think you have to go to a concert hall, dress up nicely, and then sit there to make an occasion out of it. Now you can wear your pajama, sit in bed with your husband, watching a concert, which is also great. So depending yeah. on what mood are you in, right? So <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure you're looking forward to getting back to the concert hall and dressing up and doing that <laughs> occasionally. But I'm sure you'll also want to, to, to stay in your pajamas and watch some that way as well. Exactly. I guess for different cases, you have to make different choices. Also, I know, Rick, I know you are a fan of alternative dispute resolution methods. With the difficulty in scheduling hearings, do you expect to see methods of alternative dispute resolution becoming more popular? I think we're going to see more attempts at ADR, in part because during the pandemic, our experience with having virtual hearings and calls in advance of hearing, everything done remotely, it lends itself to at least attempting, in some cases, to resolve dis- disputes, perhaps more frequently than we did in the past, um, through negotiation, through mediation, through other forms of, of ADR. And so I think our experience with different ways of resolving disputes and different ways of holding hearings and the like, I think that's going to lead us to at least trying to, in some cases, resolve our disputes without going the full distance to court or to, uh, to arbitration. Yeah. And actually, I heard one friend citing doing a mediation virtually. I thought that was rather fascinating. I mean, the mediator basically going between uh, parties, just switch on and off camera and do different uh, parties, like as if they are in different rooms. I thought that's very interesting. And also, of course, mediation is easier because you only have very few parties involved. So I thought even virtual hearing will have room for alternative dispute resolution mechanism. I agree. And, and in fact, in mediation, there's even an advantage to not being in the same building. Even if you're not in the same room for the entire time, typically the parties may be in the same room at the very beginning of the mediation and then go to separate rooms with the mediator shuttling back and forth. There's less tension when you're not in the same building greater latitude for the mediator to work both sides. That was my experience in the mediation I was involved in in the second quarter of 2020, that the mediator was able to maintain a a dialogue and a discourse without the tension that I've seen in, in some previous mediations. Yeah, absolutely. I think this is all fantastic, Rick. I could go on for hours, as you can see on this topic, but I know our time is up. Thank you very much for sharing your experience and insights on virtual hearing. I really look forward to our next conversation. Well, it's my pleasure, Jane. Thank you very much for, uh, for having me today.